Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The world of crypto is an incredibly exciting journey that we're all going on together. We don't know where it's leading to, but we know it's going to be absolutely massive. Join me, Ral Pal, as I guide you on our adventure to discover just what this new world will look like. Pierce, you're back. Excited to be back, Ral. Your last interview kind of blew up quite quite a lot, and... It, it suddenly dawned on everybody what the hell is going on with the metaverse. It was like one of the greatest interviews, I think, of Real Vision. So congrats on that one. But I really want to get you back. I mean, you and I have bumped into each other in Vegas, but I just want to get you back now to start talking about what else is going on, how the space has moved. But for people who didn't see the first interview, just give a bit of background about yourself. Yeah, sure. I guess a bit, bit of background uh, to recap is sort of like I got involved with uh, crypto reasonably early on um, through playing video games. One of those kids that was messing around with sort of gold farming and whatnot in a video game called RuneScape, which lots of people will be very familiar with, um, ended up becoming pretty, uh, you know, en engrossed with that whole world as I grew up. I'd say sort of from like 2016 onwards is when, um, you know, some of the more interesting applications around Ethereum and stuff started to really click with me. So long story short, sort of grew, grew up with crypto, always super immersed in it, always had a big love of sort of technology and computers and video games um and that path kind of yeah took me towards um ultimately sort of dropping out of my studies doing computer science and philosophy and uh jumping in at the deep end and you know trying to give um basically running some some sort of two private portfolios for my early investors uh run some money for them and you know one thing led to the other and uh ended up becoming um i ended up sort of co-founding the venture arm of a fund called delphi ventures where i sort of helped um, covered the gaming and NFT side of things um, in recent years. And then, you know, for those that don't know, I, I guess there's enough familiarity on the Real Vision platform now with Delphi. So uh, so, so I'll leave that there. And yeah, then, just a bit. Um, yeah. And then the the past year as well, I've also been working uh, with Bitcraft, sort of heading up the, the crypto efforts with, with Bitcraft, who are one of the first traditional game investors, originally sort of focused on esports, but expanded to gaming and interactive media more broadly. And now we're sort of largely investing in the synthetic reality thesis, the convergence of the physical and digital worlds that sort of spans everything from, you know, network latency infrastructure to in-game advertising engines to sort of volumetric video and all the way up to a brain-computer interface company we did most recently. Um, but yeah, on the whole, sort of super, immer uh, super um, immersed in the uh, intersection of crypto and gaming, and that's sort of, sort of what I spend most of my time on. When we last chatted... Uh, YGG just kind of started to become a thing. You guys were super early into that. Um, talk me through that journey a little bit, and then we'll open out into all the stuff that you're looking at now. But Because I just think that was a, a, a really important moment in all of this, right? Absolutely. So Yield Guild was sort of the first um, project to really kind of, you know, formalize um, operations around one of these play to earn economies, notably Axie Infinity, of course, which sort of led this whole um, revolution, I guess, in gaming that really um, 
emphatically uh, demonstrated over the last year that, you know, blockchain gaming is here and it's likely here to stay. Um, you know, just to put some numbers on that, it kind of went from effectively, you know, maybe around 30,000 users at the start of last year up to, I think it ended at around 3 million um, sort of daily active users with that community. Um, they did $4.5 billion in transaction volume last year and made $1.3 billion of revenue, which is owned by a community treasury that basically everyone sort of has upside in that's around that economy, right? Um, as this game sort of scaled and there was demand for, you know, these scarce axes, um, basically the barriers to entry sort of increased, right? So a lot of the people in these economies wouldn't be able to afford the, you know, multi-hundred dollar up, upfront cost to basically build a team to play in these games. And so Yield Yield was the first one to like basically formalize operations around this concept of, you know, scholarship programs, right? Whereby um, assets are lent out by the guild to players. They deploy them in these game economies and generate yields, um, a portion of which, you know, flows to the to the guild treasury, 20% of which goes sort of like a scholar manager and 70% sticks with the original, you know, um, player that's actually using those assets in game. Um, and I think, yeah, raising sort of capital um, from the sort of investors that they did, um, obviously on, on the Delphi side, we were like super, super early there, sort of led their seed round. Um, we were then very proud to have led the, 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 the series A with Bitcraft. Um, and then there were sort of successive rounds, you know, by Andreessen and then a public sale last year. I think, yeah, Yield Yield really represents sort of a, a tipping point in terms of showing people, you know, the direction of travel. I think um, since then, we've seen, you know, many other guilds pop up across the space, all with the s similar objective of basically bootstrapping these like, you know, play to earn economies, um, deploying assets in them and, and figuring out how to generate yield from them, which is how a lot of these things are designed. Um, I think last year, if you include, um, you know, the IDOs, things like Merit Circle raised about $100 million, Guildfi is something similar. Um, I think there was over half a billion dollars raised for these, you know, play to earn gaming guilds last year, which gives you an indication of both professional and sort of retail investor appetite for where some of this stuff's going. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I, last year was in incredible for, you know, a number of these projects. Um, Yield Guild, you know, is up at sort of well over 10,000 scholars um, that, you know, are now sort of working with them full time, operating across, I don't know how many games at this point, but have been, you know, invested in some incredible games very early on, already seen, you know, massive growth to the treasury and whatnot. Um, and yeah, I think they're in a really exciting position. So where do you think this kind of play to earn model is going to go? Because this is really the first manifestation of it. And it's rarely where it ends up. How, how are you seeing, what are people working on? Because you get a peek behind the curtain of the early stage of what else, how people are thinking about this. Absolutely. I mean, I think the, um, I think the play to earn aspect um, obviously has a long way to go. I think, um, you know, there's been some very um, potent sort of headwinds that have been exposed in, in you know, in, in, in the last 12 months, if you like. Namely around sort of, um, you know, some of the sustainability of these economies, like what kind of sort of balances and levers we can pull to make sure that these things, you know, really can scale to where we want them to. Um, we've kind of entered like a whole new realm of responsibility, if you like, when you now have, you know, millions of people deriving either primary or partial income from a game, game economy, like we need to start thinking pretty seriously about that stuff. Um, I think the sort of regulatory aspect and whatnot has been a big one, figuring out how that's, you know, sort of reporting requirements and whatnot are going to interface with a lot of these things. Um, you know, distribution, still a problem around app stores and things like that. All that aside, um, you know, 
I think we've seen this massive influx of talent that, you know, recognizes the opportunity here from the traditional game space. Um, couldn't be sort of more excited about what's going on there. I think this year we're having a number of these kind of like Gen 2 play to earn games coming to market, notably things like Alluvium, things like Guild of Guardians, things like Ember Sword, um, you know, that are basically sort of perhaps sort of well, not in not in every case, but um, some sort of more uh, traditional game developers, right, that have um, built and scaled games in the past where, you know, in some respects, the kind of stepping up the complexity of the gameplay, um, you know, the sort of uh, graphical depth and things like that. Um, these are all super exciting. Uh, I think, you know, we, we, we're seeing a number of different sort of game genres start to be approached as well that are going to appeal to sort of wider user base and whatnot. Um, and then there are other, I mean, there are some other, you know, um, other games coming to market in the more near term that are, you know, basically building off that framework that was built around Axie, but tailoring it to a sort of more specific use case. Things like uh, Crypto Unicorns from Laguna Games, I'm super excited about, which feels very on brand with uh, with where the crypto market's at. Um, but I think, yeah, on the play to earn side, uh, we're going to see, you know, a sort of increase in number, increase in sort of quality, the game teams coming in. Um, but I think, you know, fundamentally, the, the concept of it this, is, is not going anywhere. I think there's been like a reframing as well um as a, a way from sort of play to earn more towards play and earn right and the, the the sort of sole motivator shouldn't be the profit motive here um people are starting to try and focus more on like yeah there's play play and earn component the idea that you should have some free to play uh you know version of the game is like the top of the funnel if you like um and that you know you can progress through these game economies and whatnot to a certain point before having to actually like you know enable you know buy an asset that enables you to participate in the economic side of things um so that's what we're kind of seeing on that front yeah i'm swapping emails with mark cuban about this and he's really negative about a lot of this stuff because of what you alluded to before it's not clear whether how the economies can scale because right now they need new entrants and without new entrants it doesn't work how how are people approaching that thought process so yeah essentially um what, what's happening is uh you know in you, in, in each of these economies, you usually have, you know, sort of dual token system. You have one, which is AXS, the governance token, right, that I described, which um, essentially, you know, gives you voting rights on how that, you know, on-chain treasury that's accruing all of these fees gets allocated. And then you have SLP, which is the in-game currency that's the one you actually earn for performing different tasks, right, going out and battling your monsters or, or different types of um, different, different game modes and whatnot. But essentially, the issue becomes when um, there's too much of SLP being minted in the economy and not enough being burnt, right, which is what we're sort of seeing at the moment. There's this massive influx of players. Currently, the primary sinks in the economy um, have, you know, been the sort of uh, just the breeding process, right? Sort of breeding more axes. But the way people are approaching sort of uh, fixing this, they actually released a great post recently uh, in, in terms of talking about other ways, other kind of sinks you can introduce to the economy, right? To sort of relieve some of that um, downward pressure from people farming out this token and selling it in the economy. Things like, um, you know, using basically having to burn axes in order to produce cosmetics, for example, to lever up, you, you know, that don't actually have any in-game effect, but people might want to do for prestige or sort of like social status and things like that. Um, the idea is basically that you can introduce these new mechanics, you can introduce new types of gameplay, um, and, you know, effectively that nets out as uh, having sort of less of that downward pressure on that, in, on that sort of native token for the game. There's also something in this that... It feels like it's going to move away from gaming as well in some respects where it's kind of feels like that these guilds or the DAO structure for sourcing different types of work where you can get work. I know Balaji's been looking at some of this of like 
people can earn by doing tasks, but real life tasks for real businesses, for example, and then you can gain credibility points by the work you undertake, where you earn higher amounts. Feels like there's something really big in this that's outside of gaming, but the gamification of of people's skills, experience, and time. Absolutely. I think these, um, you know, massive sort of worker collectives, if you like, uh, are fascinating problems where people can basically start to um, essentially drop like an on-chain bounty and say, you know, first person to solve X tasks in accordance with Y criteria, you know, gets paid out. Maybe it's milestones based if it's a big engagement. And not only that, you know, if you complete one, five, 10, 15, 20 of these and you do them well, you start to build like almost an on-chain reputation within that worker collective and might be able to access, you know, higher quality tasks and things like that. Um, for me, the one that is super exciting is still just in the context of these, you know, fascinating new game economies that are emerging. You know, to, to reiterate, like, like half a billion dollars raised for these play-to-earn gaming deals, um, you know, tens of thousands of players coming into them. Like, this is going to completely change the sort of audience um, developer relationship in gaming, right? We're starting to have um, these sort of collectives, these player collectives have way more sort of input um, in these game economies way earlier on than, than they sort of could before. I don't know. That's still the aspect of it that excites me a lot is the idea that, uh, you know, from doing something that is fun, um, people will be able to, uh, yeah, basically drive some income. Um, I definitely am, am, you know, curious to see how these things evolve in terms of that gamification and these game economies moving towards things that might be deemed to be like, you know, more useful? How can you gamify things that actually are, you know, a net good for society and make those enjoyable to do, profitable to do, and, you know, solving real problems? Um, I think that stuff becomes really cool. We've, we've had all the early, you know, uh, incarnations of um, people, for example, you know, sharing compute resources with like SETI from home, if you remember that, right, you can share some of your idle um, compute in order to help search for extraterrestrial life. Maybe we can, you know, start to move some of these economies uh, and some of these big collectives towards things, things like that, that are that are pretty exciting. Yeah, and I love that because, you know, much like the, the um, gaming economy, it just levels the playing field globally. Nobody cares where you come from, who you are or anything, because you're competing now on the same basis for the same wages as anybody else. Uh, it, to me, that just sounds like that's going to be enormous. It's very exciting for sure. And then, I mean, you, you sort of asked specifically on like, um, you know, where the play to earn gaming stuff's going. I think it's like still so early there. Obviously, these economies have, have such a long way to play out. But um, some of the really exciting shit I've been seeing uh, this year that's, you know, really uh, captivated my imagination is sort of where this whole idea of on-chain gaming is going. Um, things where sort of, you know, the physics of the world all of the rule sets, everything's basically happening fully on chain. Um, and what this does is unlocks like, you know, the true sort of interoperability, composability and permissionlessness that we usually talk about. Um, you know, perhaps sort of like pioneer of this whole space was uh, a, a project called Dark Forest. I'm not sure whether you've come across it, but essentially right. it's like a, it's a real time strategy uh, game based around, you know, Chishin Liu's um, Dark Body trilogy, which um, which awesome, awesome series if, if for those that haven't read it. And basically it's like, uh, you know, um, you're commanding an empire out in, in space that you're trying to just expand the reach and harvest resources. All of this stuff's happening, um, you know, as I say, real time, block by block, like fully on chain. Users are competing um, sort of for these resources. What's so fascinating about this is that because it is all open source, the most effective way to play that game really quickly became writing scripts and codes and plugins, right? As an actual individual user, it's fucking impossible to play. I tried it. The cleverest thing I could come up with was letting my computer run 24-7 so this little ticker goes around the map to expand my view and I could see what was out there in the universe. 
whilst other players are performing their actions. Um, but, you know, anyone that's smart and can actually code started building little tweaks, little scripts that could, you know, more efficiently harvest resources, ways to expand, you know, the area of the universe they could see. Um, and like, just the kind of innovation that we've seen around that. So you've got an open source game being built by the entire community as they play it. Exactly that. And because now the incentives are there that like, you know, I want to build plugins that make it better for me, but the game is built, the game structured in such a way that, you know, you're also rewarded for open sourcing every plugin. So it becomes like a level playing field as you go, as everything, everything becomes more complex. Um, and there was this group that, you know, thought instead of all of us competing, let's like actually build a DAO, Dark Forest DAO, right? Um, and so we'll basically all pull resources and try and help each other out and see where we can get to. They approached this from a number of different angles. Like one of the seasons, they realized they were never going to win. So they resorted to DMing people on Twitter and asking to buy their empires, which a lot of people were happy to do because there was no upfront cost anyway. And they then actually got critiqued, right, for saying that's kind of against the ethos of the game. It didn't really happen in a trustless fashion. So like, yeah, it kind of sucks. So what they did the following season, which is really fucking cool, is basically built um what's perhaps like one of the first instances of like a smart contract actually operating at like almost as a player in a multiplayer game they built something called the astral colossus which basically allowed people to donate their planets to it it's just a smart contract right but it does appear on the leaderboards they can donate their planets to it it will rip all the resources out of the planets and give them back to the donors and this thing basically as it gets donated stuff gradually you know sneaks up the scoreboard and so the astral colossus ended up coming like you know um 34th i think in the season but like 50 people contributed to it and it just shows you like i don't know this really cool kind of emergent gameplay that appears when there's no rules but all the primitives and everything is open source so that kind of stuff's really been, um, you know, exciting me, starting to think about where, where some of that could go. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Yeah, that sounds super exciting. And how is this all linking into, you know, the other thing outside of gaming is metaverse. And obviously now that's become the buzzword. But how are you seeing it playing out? Because there's People seem to be stuck on one experience that it seems to be like it's going to be one, but I see it as the, the whole kind of digital future of everything. So it's not. But what are you seeing that's interesting there? I think I'm still seeing a huge amount of annoyance come from everyone calling individual projects metaverses, which I still don't think makes sense. It's the metaverse. As you say, it's the grandson no. of all of them. Obviously, it's awesome to see like so much energy and excitement. And, you know, I, I do think this has really like gripped people's imagination in a, in a, in a pretty meaningful way. Uh, the sort of incentive structures for actual interoperability and composability and, you know, asset portability behind these worlds and stuff. Like, I feel like we've got such a long way to go in terms of building the actual open metaverse, right? The, the challenger version. I feel like, um, you know, last year with uh, obviously with Facebook rebranding to Meta and whatnot and making all of those plays there, like, there was a lot of enthusiasm that kind of uh, muddled the waters a little bit. I would like to see things, uh, you know, focus a bit more around, again, the open metaverse, some of the hard problems that we still have to solve before we can build a feasible and actual realistic competitor to any sort of centralized equivalent. 
in terms of the the process of getting there, um, I still I still think that stuff you know like sort of the on chain gaming side is a really important one. Um, I think you know some of these different uh, games that are positioning themselves to be you know these large platforms that attract creators. Like I still think we need to do way better in terms of creator tooling. Um, build as I say, building those incentive structures for people to come in and mod games and remix them and push them out. Um, yeah, I, I think we still got a long way to go on all of that front. Yeah, I'm looking at you know. All of the things that we, you and I talked about in the past, Decentraland, crypto voxels, whatever that sandbox, it feels like they're still hollow shells of ideas. I would probably be inclined to agree. I mean, I think folks like the sandbox have done a really awesome job of, you know, trying to populate those worlds with content and whatnot. They've done a great job on the creator focus and things like that. But like, for some reason, we're still not even remotely, like, really, like, really leaning into the design space of some of this stuff. And maybe I'm getting too hung up on, like, you know, what these worlds could look like, but... For me, even ideas like, um, you know, just replicating land, but in the digital realm, we've seen this massive, you know, influx of investor interest and everyone and their mum trying to, you know, buy a plot in Decentraland. You know, the Barbados embassy has built a thing in, in Decentraland, like Samsung's built a store in there. It's like, at least from my perspective, this obviously isn't what we're talking about in terms of the end game of what this, can, what this stuff can look like. I think all the way down to things like the way they even structure the land, as I say, like, um, why the hell do we need these fixed, rigid maps where, you know, investors have bought up all the prime real estate around this, like, sort of spawn points and you have all these dead plots? Like, you know, we're starting to sort of think about these models more like dynamic land, right? Like, what if every 14 days all the land in these worlds shifted and your sort of proximity to the economic hub was determined more by, let's say you need to collateralize your plot with stable coins or the, or the, names, or the game's native token to get there, right? Why should everything be static and mimic the real world if we're building worlds like this? I think there's, um, I think there's so much more that can be done and we're not really seeing us. Like if you do something for the economy, like you know, you're, you're, you're staking or something like that, then that gets interesting because you're creating economic benefits. Right now, the one thing I can't get my head around is it was going to crypto voxels that kind of changed my entire perspective is why does physical proximity matter in the metaverse? Because you just jump in with a GPS coordinate. You don't walk around. We're, not, we're 20 years away from walking around the metaverse, and I'm not sure we ever will. Why should we when we can teleport? So... It's like I'm not sure that people are trying to impose old world ways of thinking of things and thinking, well, Snoop Dogg's built something in uh, Sandbox, so I should do something next door. Nobody walks around. I mean, yeah, no, I, I completely agree. It all wrong. I completely agree. And that's what I mean. Like, there are so many interesting ways we can start to push this technology. Like, we've hit critical mass in terms of, you know, investor interest, like talent inflow and whatnot. It, it does feel like, um, you know, we should still be striving for way more and we should really be pushing like the boundaries of like, uh, you know, what this stuff can do. There are some projects out there, people like um, Nifty Island actually have introduced a mechanic similar to the one that I described, whereby, you know, um, everyone's like plots are like similar sizes, but there is a like master world map that people use to navigate around. And basically, however much of the native game token you staked, your map appears, you know, sorry, your, your plot appears, your island appears larger on the map. So we're starting to see things like that. Um, but yeah, we've got a long way to go. I think the sort of like actual interoperability aspect um, is pretty huge. We're starting to see some projects that are like, um, I don't know, almost like an abstraction layer around sort of virtual assets for these different worlds, right? That will basically, 
I mean, there's one in particular called uh, Metamundo that's um, basically building this marketplace whereby you have like a parent NFT and whatever that 3D model might be, like a chair or an, a, you know, a piece of clothing, um, it basically mints like a child one, like a derivative one that's tailored to the graphical format of each different world. So Decentraland looks different to the sandbox, looks different to crypto voxels. But this NFT, this master NFT holds the sort of stylistic interpretation of that 3D asset across every world, right? Um, because in the absence of uh, adopting some of these standards that can work across all of them, things like, um, you know, the VRM avatar standards, st standard is super cool. In the absence of everyone using those, which is, you know, something I hope we move towards anyway, um, there are ways to facilitate this actual, you know, asset interoperability like like we like we kind of want or envisaged, um, you know, using uh, slightly different methods like the one I just described. Yeah, I mean, nothing, everything moves far, faster than you imagine, but never as fast as you wanted to do in some things. And, you know, this interoperability thing, you know, it'll, it, takes, it takes time, right? Everything is so nascent. So what are you, you know, as, a, as an investor in all of this space, talk me through some of the most exciting things you're seeing, because you, you always see stuff that nobody else has seen. So talk me through some of the stuff you're looking at. Yeah, um, one of the sort of themes that I'm really, really excited about at the moment is this sort of, um, you know, fusion of AI and sort of, you know, trainable models um, with NFTs. I think the kind of design space that's being unlocked here is fascinating. Um, you know, in particular, there's uh, there's uh, two projects we back called um, Aletheia and also Altered State Machine, um, both of which basically allow you to do, Aletheia basically allows you to take any piece of static media um, and sort of imbue it with intelligence, if you like, right? This thing um, basically combines sort of facial animation with sort of real-time voice synthesis with GPT-3 on the back end. So this thing's hyper-intelligent, basically, if you feed it the right data. Um, they did their initial drop was called The Revenants, and it was famous characters from history, right? So you had Tolstoy, you had Nietzsche, you had Cleopatra. And basically, these things have been fed um, relevant information on who they actually were and trained using a highly complex, you know, sort of neural network to be actually conversant right you can actually ask them things they they have memory they learn they experience and it's all encapsulated in an nft right so this thing's tradable in and of itself which is cool but you can also start to actually separate out like the um you know training modules so i could put tolstoy in cleopatra and you know be like a bleak russian philosopher coming out of cleopatra for example was this stuff's like really early on still, um, and these like personality pods that you can, sorry, I should also say beyond the revenants thing, I could take, you know, a screenshot of you and deploy a personality pod on it and feed it all of Real Vision's content ever. And then there'd be a digital twin of you that I own because I fused the personality pod to the photo I took of you. Um, you, and do can the, then you do this to me every you do this to me every time I speak to you. I'm just like, what the fuck? This is incredible. Where is that going? I mean, this is this sounds like this is terrifying and exciting all at the same time. So where some of that stuff's going, um, you know, the near term stuff, you can think about things like, you know, virtual influences. So especially in the East, right, we have um, these massive, like, essentially waifu characters that everyone worships, right? And um, they are like VTubers. People that will wear a mocap suit and will sing in a microphone and do all these things, but wearing an anime skin and everyone loves them. They're massive celebrities over there. We started to see a few of this, uh, a few of these things in, in the West as well. Um, uh, Brad in particular, who actually Dapper acquired this year, um, are building some really, some really interesting things around this. But um, it's kind of interesting to speculate on where some of that stuff could go. Like, what if a DAO 
own the IP of a certain anime character that has been trained or, you know, like virtual influencer that has been trained to, you know, be like a actual being that can interact with, that can perform, that can do things. It goes out, has media appearances, um, speaking engagements and generates income, which all flows, you know, on chain to a treasuries for like a DAO operated virtual influencer. That's quite cool, right? Or if you start to think about things like, um, you know, sort of, there's another project we did um, uh, that, that was that's called Cryptoids, and basically they're building this um, universe of these really cute sort of little pets that um, are all NFTs. You know, you can teach them skills that you sort of you know actually need to purchase these skills and like train them. Um, obviously, different assets for the characters, but also AI pods. If we start to think in the context of kids and digital companions, that basically you have someone that's, you know, in your phone, uh, an AI that's intelligent and can detect certain behaviors and patterns, maybe a depressive inclination, something like that. A little character that's, you know, maybe in a Spider-Man outfit, or maybe it's your favorite, you know, so crypto specifically has their own toys, but let's think more broadly about this concept. What if I'm, you know, Disney, and I want to, uh, you know, I, I, I basically want to allow kids to bring their characters to life as a digital companion, right? Um, you know, Matt Bull talks about the idea that uh, we never actually want new IP, right? All we've observed across the media landscape is that people want to experience the same IP in new forms, right? A book becomes a game, becomes a story, becomes a whatever. Um, now we have this like infinite replayability of IP, right? Because if I'm a little girl and I love Elsa from Frozen and I can grow up with her, you know, she knows everything about my humor. Um, again, can alert my parents if there's any strange psychological things that might be going on and things like that. It becomes super interesting. Um, and so like that kind of stuff's very exciting and that feels kind of near term. Um, and then, I mean, we can get into it in a minute if you want, but um, I just think in terms of populating game worlds with, you know, artificially intelligent agents, which can all be owned and traded, it's going to be so fucking cool, the stuff that's unlocked there as well. Yeah, I mean, the AI overlay is A, obvious, and B, massively scalable is going to change everything. Because in a metaverse, AI and humans compete on the same level, I mean, which is a slightly terrifying thought, and potentially AI outcompetes humans within this. I mean, you know, what you're talking about is you're creating ownable AI, individualized AI, which is basically the NFT idea. So then, as you say, well, then you can build your AI army and you can run these earn-to-play games or you could do anything. How, how are you thinking this is going to play out? When I mean, is this the battleground for the singularity? I think if we start talking about more more permissionless game worlds, right? Things, these games that like anyone can interact with. If we fulfill the promise of decentralization in the way we could, then it's going to become completely impossible to prevent people from deploying, you know, AI and scripts and other types of stuff in these economies. Which means, you know, from a game theory perspective, from a strategy perspective, everyone's going to have to partic participate in it somehow. Like. I think this process is going to be, you know, span like decades in terms of it really coming to its like truest form. But I think along the way, we're going to have these epic periods, like these transitory periods where it's like cat and mouse between the best developers, not just the best developers. Like if once the infrastructure to train these models has been deployed, the infrastructure to tokenize and move it around and fractionalize it and co-own this stuff, it also comes down to the training like selecting the best data sets and figuring out the best strategies and like who can train these models to do what they want the best. And like, you can start to see worlds where 
you know, if I'm playing an MMORPG, I'm out in the wilderness where if I die, it's like permadeath, my account's gone, right? It burns the NFT that I use to authenticate. I'm out there and my role as a human player is perhaps no longer to actually perform any in-game tasks. Perhaps me and my guild, maybe Yield Guild, we've built AI models that are really good at resource harvesting in a game, but this rare mine is out in you know, a very dangerous territory. And our role as human players is actually just to defend the camp who inside, of, inside the camp are just AI agents farming resources for us. But if anyone kills them, they get to take those AI agents that we've trained over maybe you know, two years, fed loads of data, figured out how to translate across game economies and things like that. And so you end up in this wicked scenario where you have, you know, real human players like defending your AI modules that are doing resource gathering in these bases and stuff like that. I don't know. There's like limitless possibilities for this stuff. It's uh, it's very cool. I mean, this is happening outside a gaming world as well, right? So we got the world of deep fakes. We got the world of the bots on Twitter and elsewhere. And this whole battle is already playing, mm. where we don't know who we're fighting anymore. We don't know who's who on the internet. I mean, we need some sort of identity, I guess. I mean, we've been talking about this for a while. We desperately need some digital identity to figure out, okay, who is, who is, who is real here and who is a bot? But that whole, once you start playing AI to this at scale, I have no idea where this goes because it's not totally. going to stay in the gaming world. The gaming world will be one of the learning grounds for the real world. Yeah, 100%. I know what you said about, you know, obviously the identity piece there is like bang on the money. Like it hasn't been exposed as like too much of an issue yet. I think as the stakes grow, it's going to prove a forcing function. I'm of the view that we already have the technology to do this, right? You know, with zero knowledge proofs where I can, you know, with my ID, for example, reveal I'm a certain age without revealing what it is, stuff like that. If you can start using um, proofs like that, which then basically can give you an NFT that says, yep, I've seen his government issued ID. It's like my proof of humanity. This is non-transferable. It exists only for this person. Then yeah, maybe we can do like a little tick and say this person's probably a human and this is probably a bot or at least unverified. But um, let's see. Let's see. Definitely an interesting uh, area and problem to solve. Yeah, it just feels like, you know, in the, in the interoperable world that you're alluding to, that identity becomes, we can have multiple avatars and be different things and different people in different worlds. But to have some sort of verifiable truth to, yes, this is a, you know, this is that same person. These NFTs are their NFTs and, you know, so everything carries across. It feels like that's what we need. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a few projects starting to look at, um, you know, stuff like that. But uh, I don't, haven't, haven't, haven't seen anything, uh, you know, get to implementation stage yet uh, at scale. So, so we'll see. What else are you looking at that's exciting? Um. Yeah, I think the AI stuff's really cool. I think um I think also just starting to think about how we might be able to leverage like the sort of gaming DeFi symbiosis to unlock new types of economy and gameplay that weren't previously possible. Um things like um some of the games we're looking at are things like hosting uh sort of you know, no loss esports tournaments. And what I mean by that is you might have a massive player base. It might be a tournament that spans like two months and everyone in order to enter is encouraged to lock up some capital, right? So you need to stake something to play. And that capital is then lent out in DeFi lending protocols. There may have been, you know, before the tournament community governance to decide which strategies you'd run. But basically that capital that's lent out, all of the accrued interest becomes the prize pool, right? And you could even have large exchanges and liquidity providers like sponsor some of this stuff to boost the rewards, um, and then as people obviously like drop out of the tournament, like whoever wins, um, basically wins that entire prize pool, things like that, I think are very cool that can be unlocked. Right. Um, and then 
beyond that, starting to look at things like, um, you know, there's this question around um, sort of sustainability of these economies and whatnot. And like, you know, um, sort of where is the value? Where's the profit actually coming from in half of these things? Like you can start to Im imagine a scenario where like um, users are essentially encouraged to lock up colla uh, collateral um, that's like well contextualized in the game universe, which is um, then also lent out, right? In DeFi lending and it earns interest. But the cool idea behind this is that you could actually basically make that interest that's accrued, the developers like sole revenue stream essentially, right? And then all capital that's invested in the economy and all transaction fees generated are recirculated. So the players aren't actually ever giving anything away. It's not dependent on new players coming in. It's just, you know, the game's attractive enough that they want to lock up collateral in it for X period of time and earn money that way. I think um, starting to see some early experimentation around what that could look like, but I don't know, longer term, there could be something, uh, something pretty interesting there, um, which, um, yeah, which I'm pretty excited about. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. So how the hell do you filter ideas now? Because, I mean, you and I have talked offline. I mean, there's a bunch of stuff that you just can't tell whether it's just, you know, kind of slightly fraudulent. So you don't know if any of this, how much is real. How are you, how are you filtering ideas to invest? Because I'm finding it really difficult. Yeah, I think... Um... I think the largest part is like, you know, finding finding the right tribe to do that with. Um, I think it's uh, the, like the sheer volume of stuff that we've been trying to process has been incredibly difficult. Um, uh, but, you know, like sort of we work very closely between sort of Delphi and Bitcraft. Obviously, we've got a strategic partnership. We've got like the crypto side, we've got the gaming side. And then the third piece, the trifecta, which has been great fun, is sort of a yield guild as well. Right. We've been we've been working very closely with them, both on the investment side and sort of vetting these economies. Um, the rationale there is like the third part of the uh, the trifecta of the Trinity is, um, you know, this early source of player liquidity for these game economies as well. And they're very well versed in these actual guild mechanics and things like that. As you well know, um, this whole space moves way too quickly to even possibly, you know, keep tabs on everything. You know, I'm now focused pretty much exclusively on gaming. And even within that, there's like, you know, a lot going on. And so, um, yeah, building those relationships with people that you can, you know, try and defer to on like certain mechanics or whatever that, you know, you haven't been sort of hands on with uh, recently or whatever. Um, that's definitely super important. And then I think now as well is just seeing this big um, influx of talent from the traditional space. Like it's really uh, accentuating the importance of having a strong network from the traditional games world where you can really try and, you know, vet these teams and understand who's designed what and sort of try and scrutinize the actual uh, game design, game economy and design chops on that front. Um, and then when it comes down to, you know, the cooler ideas that we all love, the ones that are actually, you know, trying to sort of push things forward and combine stuff in an interesting way. Um, you know, that really just comes down to trying to, you know, assess what it's doing within the framework of like what came before it and understand whether that's too much of a leap. Um, but yeah, the year's been like pretty, pretty brutal in terms of sheer volume of stuff. Even like these AI ones, how do you know 
how good they are because conceptually everything sounds amazing in this world right yeah that i mean ones like that where you know we're, we're all completely out of our depth with ai like none of us have you know done anything like that and so again like important that we, we have some awesome advisors um sort of on the bitcraft side who are, who are very you know deep in the ai world and you know some through some mutual friends have some very strong connects to some like you know deep ai researchers and like when you can get that when you can get them on a call and say Here's like the crypto component. Just bear with me. I'm really asking you, does the AI side make sense? And if, you know, like oftentimes it comes back really strong when you're like, fuck, this is so exciting. It's a combination of like really noble and interesting crypto stuff with AI that like, you know, the AI piece that actually works and impresses someone that specializes in that field. So um, I guess kind of kind of goes somewhat like that along the way. Yeah, because I, I can see from everybody, everybody's struggling. And I think... The only answer is hyper-specialization. You specialize in what, you, what you're familiar with and what you're interested in because you just can't do it. Because, you know, a year ago, we would have talked about much broader range of things, but everybody's having to go down to a particular thing because it's, it's just getting hard. Um, yeah, just like finding the sort of circle of competence and then, as I say, like getting a good group of people around you that, you know, that you can trust to sort of lean on in different areas. Um, and then I think one thing that's been very cool for, for sort of, um, you know, on, on, on the Delphi side as well is just, uh, you know, the very deep sort of token economy design background. Um, you know, I mean, the team's big now, right? It was sort of like over 80 people and whatnot. Like um, when, you know, a traditional game dev moving into the space that might feel a little uncertain around, you know, how exactly to integrate a lot of this stuff sort of arises, like, you know, Delphi sort of steps up there and is, is more than happy to like help build out that entire aspect of the economy, you know, obviously selectively, because we sort of can't do that with everyone. But um, that's something that's been, uh, you know, super encouraging, very useful too. So final question. So if you, how many projects do you think you look through you look through last year and how many did you actually invest in Oof. um i don't know like probably over a thousand we looked at maybe more i actually don't know like it felt like thousands but i i had i have no way to gauge that the year kind of was one giant blur um uh and then on, like how many we actually invested in um like it's hard to say again because if it's like specifically on the game side or whatnot, um, I don't know. Probably, probably invested in like yeah. I'm just talking about you on the game side. Let's say, let's say it was just Pierce's portfolio. So you see multiple hundreds of projects, and you invest in. Yeah, I reckon we probably saw towards a thousand, and yeah, literally invested in. Um, yeah, sort of. It's hard to say again, just in my own head because I don't know which we've announced and whatnot. But yeah, basically between fifteen and twenty, probably on the game side last year. Fuck, that's a lot of work to make yeah. the investments. People don't realize yeah. that. People don't realize how much work goes in to this super early stage investing because you've got to see so many projects, filter them, decide if it's any good, try and live with FOMO all the time in case you've missed the really good one. And then you get it down to 20 investments, which is hard. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's also always like, you know, <clears throat> the irresistible urge to be drawn into like other areas that are super exciting. You know, you're asking sort of what else I'm, I'm finding exciting, I guess, less so immediately from our like gaming investing stuff, but um, had the most incredible conversation the other day with some guys that are running um, Molecule and VitaDAO and SciDAO trying to build like decentralized science, basically. Um, it sounds like a buzzword thing, but uh, actually got talking and these guys are some incredibly um, sort of smart folks that have built sort of the legal framework around tokenizing like early pharmaceutical IP and moving it from that phase, that like critical gap from like university trials to like, you know, early actual pharmaceutical trials. Um, and I didn't realize it was such like a stagnant and sort of broken space. Um, and they've built this like incredible model for it. 
all operating as a DAO, attracted some of the leading sort of longevity researchers and this, that, and the other, you know, Vitalik, Balaji, like Brian Armstrong, everyone seems to be like pretty pumped about this sector. And things like that just is like, you know, an incredible era of application of this technology that excites me enormously that, um, you know, I mean, I think it's definitely investable too. Um, so yeah, I don't know, stuff like that's cool. Yeah, I've been, I've been talking about this for a while that research is an obvious thing to be tokenized. Um, and creating DAOs around research is an amazing way to move forward research, make it kind of, you know, interoperable in a way that, you know, research science needs to be done. I just think it's, a, it's, it's such a massive opportunity. And I've mentioned it a few times in podcasts and people have hit me up immediately saying, well, what are you thinking of? This sounds exactly what we need to do. I spoke to MIT, um, I did a lecture at MIT, mentioned it, and about three people hit me up immediately after and said, how do we do this? I'm like, I don't know, but I know it's coming because <laughs> it makes total sense. There we go. There we go. I'll uh, I'll send that over to you. It's definitely worth checking out then. <clears throat> definitely. Piers, look, as, as ever, fantastic to chat to you, uh, trying to get our heads around all that's going on, and uh, I'm sure we'll check in again soon. And uh, again, if you find somebody interesting, bring them on Real Vision. I will do. I will do. This AI stuff, like, I think we should get that on Real Vision because that's just, like, fascinating. Cool. Yeah, we can uh, we can definitely set that up. Maybe do the interviewee as an AI and, and figure something out fun around that. But, um, yeah, could be Love could it. be very cool. Um, but, yeah, Love always it. a pleasure to chat. And, uh, yeah, uh, great, great talking. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Hey there. Since you got to the end, I'm guessing you liked the video. And that's probably because we don't just turn on a camera and film. We work really hard on getting the narrative flow just right. And that's why many finance companies are actually now hiring Real Vision to make videos for them. One of our recent client videos just hit 100,000 organic views on YouTube, and there were no kittens in sight. So if you want to find out how Real Vision can make a video for your company, just email us at customvideo at realvision.com. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you're looking for quality content from one of the best crypto teams in the space, join Real Vision Pro Crypto, the first ever crypto research membership from Real Vision and Delphi Digital. There are 70 plus crypto and tech analysts on the team, and you'll get instant access to in-depth bottom-up analysis, and early market insights, plus frequent video and flash updates, and a thriving online community. And from now through January 28th, you'll get a substantial discount that's locked in for two years by signing up at realvision.com slash pro crypto launch. That's realvision.com slash pro crypto launch. See you there.